0: What's up everyone, welcome to episode thirty five of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pew and I'm joined as ever by my very good friend and Mr Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how's your Sunday treating you? Yeah,
1: it's not bad actually. I'm starting to get used to the um the lack of a social life, and I'm starting to become quite accustomed to these quiet, refreshing Sundays. So so far, mate, not bad. Um had a decent decent lunch and now and then I watched World Cup games with my dad from like two thousand and two. Man, Italy were robbed.
0: Yeah, Italy that game was deaf fixed. Hundred <laughs> percent out fixed.
1: Totti got a second yellow um for diving when he was clearly kicked. And there's like a goal disallowed, there's like extra ridiculous. Um I remembered how good Christian Vieri was in two thousand and two. Um, and reminding myself that him and Ronaldo actually were a strike partnership up front for Inter in the early 2000s, and yet they didn't win the league title, which is extraordinary. But yeah, man. So I'm, I'm overall, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying the lazy Sundays. I, I am missing the outside world though. But um, you know, we're all in the same boat.
0: Speaking of the outside world, that's what I was doing this morning. Like I said to you yesterday, I was like, I'm going to start running. I think. Because my sister, she goes on these absolutely mad running treks. Um, yeah. And I th- and I thought. I am exercising while I'm at home, but decent way to me to build fitness back up, and, or maintain my fitness levels, I guess, and to also like, get some fresh airing. So I thought, right, yeah. I, I,
1: I'll,
0: I'll go on a run around this specific area that I, I thought that I'd run to, um, about three and a half miles altogether, and mate... Mm-hmm. I was absolutely bollocksed by the end of it. Like I, like I, I ran today. I've got this app that tracks you. I, I ran like yeah, three, I was the same. I ran like three and a half miles today, mm. and my legs, mate. W- when I got home, I, I, I was I could I had to sit down immediately. Like my legs were absolutely fucked. It wasn't so much like a problem with me breathing. Like I had the fitness, but my legs just were because obviously I haven't played football competitively for mm. phew, nearly ten years now because of like the problems I had with my knee. And my legs obviously aren't used to the, that pressure anymore of yeah. running consistently. Mate, I, I, <laughs> I got in and I had to, it was like I'd just been trekking Everest. Like I got in <laughs> and I just had to sit straight down. And I looked at my app and I saw how far I run. She's was like three and a half miles. And I thought, fuck, man, the London Marathon is another 23 of those. Yes. I, would, I would be dead by mile seven. <laughs> 100% I would die yeah I'm with you the 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 fitness levels and just the ability to maintain like this edge that you're gonna keep pushing yourself through for 26 miles uh, it's not until you dip your toe into long long distance running that you realize what an absolute mammoth task uh, the London Marathon would be, even like the half marathons, thirteen miles. So even mm-hmm. like another ten of them miles, I'd be dead. I would one hundred percent die. It's crazy. I couldn't believe it, man. Like, have you ever done long distance running yourself?
1: No, no, I, I'm a biker. I do the, I do cycling instead. I'm um I'm not a long distance guy, but um, don't don't be. It's not. No, being. no, uh, I I do I do cycling, which it's easy to get the distance, because it really just focuses a lot of the pressure on your legs, which 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 i'm which i'm okay with so but i did um i did nine on the bike yesterday and by the time you're back you sort of like just slumped over the handlebars (laughs) just sort (laughs) of like leaning rather than turning and stuff um and it is just especially when you go like uphill i i i I, i'm not i'm not a big fan of those um but yeah i'm I'm with you i'm with you that but and you compare the cycle you look at like people that do the tour de france so that's like oh let's just bike across france for three days and th- then just measure ourselves he's fucking mental so you're not
0: going to um, send an
1: application in then to get on it? no 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 um <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna try and uh, just sort of see if we can get some uh, wristbands with uh live strong or live sound <laughs> on, on, on my arms just see if i can make it to um make it to like a modest 10 mile cycle but there's absolutely no way I'm going to be able to do anything, anything even remotely like that. Those people are machines.
0: Luckily, this is just an alternative music podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not going to have to force each other to go on any fitness tests. <laughs> we're brought to, you, brought to you usually every fortnight by Cut by UK. However, because of how long me and Sam went on the last episode I'll be doing an extra one for you this week uh, we're available on YouTube, Apple Music and Spotify, I mentioned last week's show and that included a very very long but very enjoyable I've got to say in depth chat on Metallica's and Justice for All record and then we did album reviews on the You's Heartwork and Enter Shikari's Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible, quick mention, um, that record from Enter Shikari finished second in the UK charts, uh, very wow. well deserved I'm happy for them, they deserve that,
1: that's good that's a good. That's a good thing for them.
0: It's a good record, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, it is. It's a good record, and it's um, there's some moments of real, um, invention and and pop music in there as well. And Enter Chicago deserve to get some mainstream recognition, and it's good to see that they're finally getting that.
0: I was supposed to put my interview with Rotten Out vocalist Walter Delgado on last week's podcast. However, as I mentioned, we went quite long, and that's what made this episode necessary a week early. So. Me and Sam are going to review Trivium's new record, What the Dead Men Say, and then straight after that is going to be the interview with Walter, which should have been on last week's episode, but we've dedicated almost a whole episode to it on this occasion, just to reiterate what I said last week. It's probably the best Chris Meats that I've done, and that wasn't because of me, it was because of how interesting Walter is as a person how open he is about the very difficult times of his life. I would actually recommend anyone to just listen to Rotting Out as a band. Their new album, *Rounding* is really good. And they're a really great classic hardcore punk band. So if you have any interest in punk or just want to hear a very, very fascinating and also at times very sad story of a guy's life after we finish the Trivium record review here, that interview is going to be straight up coming up after, so do stick around at the end of the show for that special Chris Meats. Uh, on Noise of Card at the moment, we'll get album reviews on The Homeless, Gospel Choir, Elephant Tree, and Downward. Sam, we're we ready to uh, get into review of uh, Trivium's ninth record?
1: Yes, indeed.
0: So, What the Dead Men Say by Trivium's out now on Roadrunner. As I just mentioned, it is the band's ninth album. Does that make you feel old? Yeah, yeah, it does. Mate, nine Trivium albums. <laughs> Since when?
1: I know, I know. They're quite prolific when you think that Ascendancy was their second album, that was 2005, so they've had seven albums in 15 years. That's really good.
0: Like, and what, Embers to Inferno, they were kind of like doing when they were like, like literally like 14 years old, which is... Yeah, they were they
1: were really, really, really young. It's yeah.
0: absurd when you listen to it. When you listen to the album and you consider that, like, they were... <laughs> they hadn't even finished puberty yet.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely. It's incredible. Um, Matt Heafy's a, a prodigy, isn't he?
0: Absolutely, man. And um, speaking of Trivium's discography, where do you see Trivium? Historically in metal, where mm. do you see Trivium sitting? Like, are we talking second tier of greatest metal bands of all time? So obviously, first tier, we're talking Metallica, Maiden, mm. Sabbath, Slayer. Yeah. Second tier, Lamb of God, Machine Head, Trivium, Killswitch yeah, Engage. A- is, yeah. is that what we're saying? Yeah,
1: I think. I think. I think them and Parkway Drive have entered yeah. that second pantheon in good the year, last sort year, 18 I'd months. I take
0: a Junior as well.
1: I I think I think Trivium were knocking on the door of that second tier over the last 4 to 5 years and they've it's like it's like being at a nightclub so like if you imagine that like there's like a door to get in and Trivium keep coming up to the door and then getting lost on the way it's like, yeah. a, like trying to get your mate into a nightclub, like, eat, like but he's too drunk in pre-drinks and he can't get in. And then he has to go walk around the block and come back, and then he gets in later. This yeah. is what Trivium are like, because when Ascendancy came out, this is like, oh, my God, this band are going to be... The biggest metal band on the planet in four years, right? And the Crusade comes out, and that's like that's like you mate taking three jagermice shots around your house, and you're like, "Are you going to be all right, lad?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm fine." <laughs> yeah. And then in the queue, he's throwing up black material around the corner, um, and stuff like that. And that's what Trivium had done. And then later, he goes on a walk and has a subway. So then Trivium sort of albums they got better, and then they've come back in. The bouncer's like, "Hold on a minute, you still going to take another walk." And that, and now I think they've been brought into this like you say, second tier um, of Lamb of God machine because they needed another couple of albums of real quality um, to put them in that Lamb of God Machined category. And I think this has done that for them.
0: That was quite an analogy. You, you, Thank you you. you. you went places with that one. I hope it made sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I got it anyway. <laughs> that was a, a good point, though, because like the momentum of Trivium over their career is actually really interesting to pick apart because it's been sadly quite a stop start for them so Embers to Inferno, I suppose, if you want to, you know, they were, they were so young when they wrote that album, so if you want to count that, that's fine. But Ascendancy, on that tour run, they played that download set where 40,000 yeah. people turn up, and then there is articles being written in the likes of Kerrang! etc., where it's like, okay, maybe this is the next Metallica, etc. They get bundled in with like a Bullet, Avenged and Killswitch in that, me and you often talk about the mid-2000s Big Four. Yeah, that we can't believe that only Avenged got to arena superstar level status. Yeah. Then they did the Crusade, which stopped the momentum. A bit too, a bit too more, it's a bit too metal for me, that album.
1: They decided to really categorise the the pop music style stuff. And so, oh, you like the choruses, let's do an album of that. And they've got the balance wrong.
0: Now I haven't listened to every machine, uh, machine, every Trivium album in full. Um, Okay, but I know that you have. Yes, but I I still know enough about each album to be able to like have have a forward-thinking opinion in the sense of. Ascendancy, shot them to the sky, Crusade, dropped a bit of momentum. Then they did uh, Shogun and In Ways, I fucking love In Ways, In Ways is a really great album. I've never yep. listened I've never listened to Shogun in full. I mentioned this to you yesterday. I think of album like my time of being into metal. I've always been put off by Shogun's length. I'm not a massive that, fan that
1: of that has to that has to change soon. I'm
0: not I'm not a massive fan of really long records. There are a few that I will make exceptions for but generally really long records that kind of put me off because I mentioned when we were talking about Injustice for All last week that it doesn't really matter sometimes how great a song is. If we're talking like over seven and a half, eight minutes, sometimes I just, I don't know whether it's just I've got a poor attention span or whether There's just something intrinsically in me that makes me switch off. I just kind of tend to lose my appreciation once it goes on for too long. So Shogun's length has always put me off. However, Shogun and In Waves are generally considered two of Trivium's better albums yeah. I mean, then, then they did Vengeance Falls and Silence in the Snow. And those Not two, al- those two I, I can speak for those two albums. And they really dismantled the momentum, especially Silence in the Snow, man. I really don't think that album worked for Trivium at all. And I, lo- I love Trivium as a band. I love Matt Heath, he's amazing. But I, I just think Silence in the Snow was a real banana skin. Tri- Vengeance Falls, I mean, Strife is great. And, and we saw Trivium, didn't we, on the Sin the Sentence tour run. Yeah, And we were like, I can't believe we didn't play Strife, man. Strife's a really great song. But other than that, Vengeance Falls isn't great for me, outside of the first two and a half minutes of Strife, which so says a lot about that record. <laughs> and then Singing the Sentence brought some good faith back. I still... I, I thought the album was a little bit overrated by uh, rock and metal press. I thought it was good. I liked it. And it brought some good faith back, but... There was some that were saying this is the resurgence of Trivium's career in terms of their, their, in terms of their ability to maybe move on to the next step of crowd appeal, and I, and I was like, no, I don't, I don't quite think so. Just for me personally, good record, but nothing more than that. However, what the Dead Men say, I, I think this is their best album since In Waves twenty
1: eleven. Yeah, I think it's their best album since Shogun.
0: Right. Okay. Um, I think it's better than In Waves. I've never, I'd have to like listen to In Waves in full again to really be able to make that judgment. Mm. Because it's been a while since I've sat down alone with In Waves, but I just remember really, really adoring that album, obviously, especially the opening two songs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This will be an interesting one. So, Sin in the Sentence and What the Dead Men Say, would you take those two albums over The Grey Chapter and We Are Not Your Kind?
1: Absolutely. I don't Uh, think it's close either.
0: Would you take them over uh, Hell to the King in the stage?
1: Hmm, that's a tougher one because I really like the stage.
0: The reason why I'm asking these questions is because I don't think anyone would dispute that Slipknot and Avenged Sevenfold are absolutely the two superstar metal bands of the 21st century in terms of album sales, live Mm. attendance, festival headline sets. Slipknot and Avenged are the two.
1: I I, would, I think that's a fair assessment. I would take Avenge last two.
0: Right, okay, but you you would take them over Grey Chapter and We Are Not Your Kind? Yes. Okay, I I think I would just about take Grey Chapter and We Are Not Your Kind. Only, sl- only slightly. I think We Are Not Your Kind is significantly braver than what the dead men say. Now, I suppose that is a bit, you know, me saying that is a bit of a red herring because Trivium were brave with Silence in the Snow. And it didn't. Uh, and I said it was a banana skin for them. But bravery doesn't always mean quality. But I actually liked. We are not your kind significantly more than you. And I think yeah, the, I, I think that's fair. Side. And I think the Grey Chapter is a <sighs> good album. The Grey Chapter. It, it's when you when you put it in a vacuum with other Slipknot albums, outside of all hope is gone. Obviously, it stands out in luminous paint. In terms of not being able to stand up to the quality of the debut, Volume 3, Iowa. But I think, on its own, it's just a good record. And I actually really like We Are Not Your Kind. So I'd only slightly take those two. But, uh, differently to you, I would take Trivium's last two, over of the Stage and how to the King. Fair enough. Again, it's only slight. But th- this feels like a really important album for Trivium, doesn't it? Like, because yeah. Sin in a Sentence brought some good faith back. Th- they really couldn't afford another momentum slip, could they? They they really needed to- this to be a-, a great great record.
1: I think I think I think so. I think um, I think what it is it's a, a reminder as well that at their peak when they're very good, Trivium have a higher ceiling, perhaps than most metal bands in their zenith. So, for example, I think that Avenged Sevenfold are more consistent in terms of the quality than Trivium over their career but when Trivium are really good I think their albums are really good so I think I think Ascendancy is better than City of Evil for example I think Shogun is better than Nightmare and I think this is better than The Stage because I think when Trivium are really good they write the best albums out of that quadrant with them Avenged Switch.
0: So, what are, we, um, are, are you? Um, where are you ranking this? We're going to go into detail in terms of what's good and what's less good on the album in a moment. But mm. wh- where are you ranking this for Trivium in the discography?
1: It's their third best album, I think.
0: Just I think that.
1: Yeah, I think. I think again, this is preference. So, I, but, but my 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 top four of Trivium would be Ascendancy, Shogun, this, and then In Waves.
0: Is Catastrophe the best song they've written since In Waves? No, I
1: don't think Catastrophe is the best song on this album.
0: So uh, I th- it's, it's my it's my favourite song on the record, but objectively speaking, I'd have to say The Defiant. Personally, I think that's the best song on the album in terms of the way the song's constructed, like beautiful harmony, guitars, and Maheef, it sounds amazing on it. What specifically stands out about the record for you?
1: Um, The... F- The combination that Trivium, when they get this right, they're better than any other band at it. The combination of the musicianship with the huge choruses, Trivium have an innate ability um, to be able to write songs that are massively um, catchy and grabbing and huge chorus-led songs that don't sacrifice the musicianship. Whereas other bands, when they write songs like this, completely detract from the musicianship. Parkway Drive would not write a song like this in the way that when they have a big song off the void the the musicianship was almost abandoned. I mean it's still there but not to this <laughs> nowhere near to this extent.
0: Did you mean reverence um, then sorry?
1: Yeah sorry. I mean, um like yeah like like void off off the off the reverence album, sorry, my mistake. And yeah, so what I'm trying to say is that Park Parkway, Parkway have abandoned their sort of musicianship in favour of the big choruses, whereas Trivium tend to marry the two together and what stands out to me is is the is the songs where that that comes to the fore i think bleeding to me the defiant and scattering the ashes are three of the better songs that trippin have written in the last decade in terms of the musicianship and the 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 size of the choruses um there's a section of bleeding to me after the second chorus where this harmony guitar comes in and it's beautiful it's like iron maiden level single on guitar harmony goes right back into the mass this massive chorus of the guitar solo and it's so transcendently huge and then the defiant has a fantastic fantastic chorus as well but also rotates between brilliant musicianship and then you get songs like scattering the ashes and the ones we leave behind that combines that Incredible ability of Matt Heafy's to write these fantastic riffs and solo harmony sections with his voice, and it's so, um, it's so Heafy's voice is almost like modern James Hetfield in the sense that it's deep but melodic at the same time, and it carries the songs really well. Um, at its peak here, Trivium have been able to to capture styles of songwriting I haven't heard since peak Maiden. In terms of the combination of transcendent choruses and the fast paced um, songwriting and solo sections, many people listening to this have always drawn the Metallica Trivium connection. And I think personally, that's always been more of their narrative rather than their actual music. Um, But I think if you put Iron Maiden into like a time machine, right, and rather than them being. 21 in 1981 and you took those musicians and bruce dickinson and you put them in like 1998 as like teenagers and then got them to to work on songs together with metal the way that it is now rather than the 70s and 80s they'd sound like trivium with the harmony sections with the progressive songs with the um with these massive choruses in that way trivium are the air to, to I imagine here moving forward. I'm not saying that they're on that level. I'm saying that they write songs of the quality and size that can be, can be comparable to Maiden and and to a lesser extent Metallica. And when they get this right, the songwriting and the size of these is absolutely massive. And this dwarfs um, a lot of bands in their ether that have been around over the last 10 to 15 years, music and the last on this album. This is the best album by a band of, of Trivium's contemporaries that I've heard since Parkway Drive's last one. This is better than Lamb of God's last one. This is better than Slipknot's last one. Um, I think the stage is slightly better than this, slightly. Uh, but This is miles better than anything Bullet have done, miles better than anything Killswitch have done, and better than uh, Machine Head's. Every one of Machine Head's last albums going up to the loc- going up to Locust.
0: Oh, well, like
1: Stone so and Diamonds. I prefer this um and i'm not saying it's a bad album i'm just saying that this is better than it um and and i think that is that is a reminder again of the gravity of ability that is in this band from Heathy and cory baliolo the other guitarist they mesh together beautifully um so yeah although in terms of what this album does wonderfully well when trivium get this right they strike gold sometimes they get the balance wrong and there's a co- the cocktail slightly off, sometimes a bit too cheesy, or sometimes the music is a bit too progressive and a bit too pedantic and a bit dull at times. But when they get the blend right, they combine huge choruses with incredible musicianship and few people can write a riff like hi And that's where, this, that's where this is all coming together. I think this is a, a brilliant album for Trivia and I hope I hope that it does bits for them. And I think as well, and a, and a final note from me, we almost put down bands of our generation because they never scale the heights of the previous generation. Um, we don't consider often enough that it's probably impossible for those bands to do that anyway. Um, apart from Avenged, who have, have, have transcended in terms of their, 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 their material um, and and to a lesser degree, um, bands breaking in and having six or seven metal bands and heavy metal bands and rock acts, that are like arena size, like we had in the eighties and nineties. Maybe that just doesn't happen anymore anyway, simply because of the generation that we're in and the way that we consume music and buy music and, 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 and things like that. It, it where tours are less important and things like that. Maybe maybe it's maybe we're downgrading these bands for not reaching heights that perhaps we don't have the room for those bands to get there in the first place. But as as an album Um, trivium have returned to form here i think their career unfortunately is a bit hit and miss and they've not taken advantage of the full potential the way that they could but this album is a reminder that they absolutely are one of the most talented metal bands we are lucky enough to have in this generation in the last sort of 10 or 15 years i'm a big fan of this album
0: you make a lot of great points there and i think one of them is the idea that we almost take trivium for granted. And they've done four great records out of nine, which doesn't sound great on the surface because you're talking less, you're talking less than 50% of the records have been great. But that's a, a higher percentage than a lot of metal, metal bands.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Like, you know, Metallica's ninth record was Death Magnetic that's right yeah this is a better record than death magnetic
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely you could go down the line um uh, any any plethora any plethora of bands even bands that have survived this long enough to make nine records that are this this well this this, this well aware of look at the success right if you go if you go four out of nine that's that's yeah it's just shy of 50 percent, isn't it of 50% of Bullet's albums been really good. I'd hesitate to say that 20% have been good. A um, 50% of Killswitch's albums been really good. I, I don't think so. Um, it's it, 50% of Machine's albums. There was that whole like weird 90s period where it's like, what's going on here? And and that that was a bit strange. Like it's difficult to be consistently great. Even Metallica did five great ones, and then released Load, and they were like sort of messing about with stuff and sort of dropped off a bit. And it's just really hard to have nine great albums. I don't think it's ever been
0: done. I know I'm just dropping this on you randomly, but I'm trying to think, apart from God Hates Us All by Slayer, which I think is their ninth album, I can't think of another metal, big metal band that did a great ninth album or was still a great band to come their ninth album, apart from... Apart from God Out to Saw is a fucking great record. I think that's their ninth. I I might be one off there. I'm pretty certain it is. But anyway, the point is, I can't think of many, if any, metal bands off the top of my head that nine albums in were still doing great, great records, or at least returning to form, Then, in in, in the sense that obviously Trivium Trivium have done great records before. And this is like a return to form.
1: I would agree. I, I think I think only Iron Maiden are close enough because they were doing like Seventh Son of a Seventh Son and Brave New World in 2000 was really really good, but then they dropped off massively after that. Um, but and and then you could then you could make an argument that well Maiden's albums are really good because they released the same one every three years. Yeah. But um, re- really, um, if you look at Machine Head, the Blackening was I want to say their sixth or seventh record in that sort of returns ninth was okay bloodstone and diamond if it was decent um and it's it's you're right it's rare that a band has this sort of longevity like people forget this trivium have been in that in our in our lives for 15 years that's a long time yeah it's a long 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 time um and they've been really 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 successful all things considered now they haven't they haven't risen to the heights that we thought that they would do but again, like we've said before, there aren't many bands that have. I mean no. look at look at the last look at the all right, since Trivium were since Trivium in two thousand and six, um, let's look at the band. like look at the bands that have headlined download that you would consider roles into that role or were wouldn't have headlined in nineteen ninety six. Does that make sense? Yeah so who had who headlined Download between two thousand and six and two thousand and twenty that wouldn't have headlined it could couldn't have headlined it ten years before, and it's like Chemical Romance, Linkin
0: Park, Avenged, Avenged, Slipknot, Slipknot, Uh, Tool, but obviously a completely different category of music.
1: Yeah, uh, you could, you could, you uh, you know, a decade long career going into 2006, you you know what I mean? So even there, they're on the back, you know, you could make an argument either way. So what's that? Four bands from three slots a year for 15 years, so four out of 45. Yeah. And do you know what I mean? Trivium haven't broken into that incredibly elite club, of which one of Linkin Park sold, as we discussed two weeks ago, like platinum level records with their debut album. My Chemical Romance had had like piss thrown at them. So that that wasn't we can't call that a roaring fucking yeah. roaring success. Slipknot a Slipknot. I think they're the ex- exception that proves the rule. And what was the other one? Avenged. Avenged. Avenged are the, are the only one of this class. You could actually say outside uh, comparison, there's, yeah, this a remote comparison, and and, and Avenged are a completely different band, right? Completely different stuff, and it's just it, it just doesn't seem even remotely to be in the same sort of level of comparison. Eve only Avenged are the ones that have overtaken them. So really, really, I, I don't think I don't think Trivium have done have done have done that badly. And and then when you look at this album at this level of their career. I genuinely think this is terrific. Um, it's got real stability as well because of the depth of the songs. Yeah, there's albums, there's albums that are good that I won't go back to because I already feel because they're simplistic. I don't want to be, I don't want to sound patronising, and I really don't mean it this way. But there is, there are some like, like Reverence by Parkway, really good album. I don't find myself going back to it and thinking, oh, that's a new thing I've never heard. They're, not, they're just not that sort of album because it's very like. A to B, in the sense of like you, you sort of get what parkour about on that album, that individual, um, individual album. Whereas this, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm dis. which I love about metal, it's metal is the finest when you go back and discover the little intricacies about the, the musicianship and the little, the little styles and little changes, the little shifts and things like that. And I think this has that. Um, like we've said before, like prog, you can get progressive metal and it can go too far. It could be a little bit boring and it can be a little bit um, introspective, and, and as a result, the list can be turned off. And this, I think, finds a beautiful balance between chorus and melody and uh, technique and dexterity, and I think Trivium get that better than pretty much any other band.
0: I think that we do take Trivium for granted, and when you, when you talk about Trivium without context, you forget about what a big band they are, what they've achieved, and how producing four great records in 15 years is borderline phenomenal. As we mentioned, it's not until you apply context that you realise Trivium would be on the second tier of greatest metal bands of all time. They would be included in there. They've done these four great records, one of which, Ascendancy, was like this absolute volcanic eruption in metal, and completely changed the game for Trivium for a short while until, as we mentioned, Momentum started to slow down when they did the Crusade. But for that period, everyone was excited about Trivium. And then when you fast forward to this record, they have massively, massively returned to form here on their ninth album, which just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. No, absolutely not. When the album was announced... I thought, oh, it'll be good, when it? will be like Sin in the Sentence, which was which was a good metal album. And me and you saw them on that tour. And we really enjoyed it. We had a great night. That was the night that Code Orange, Peritrip and Venom Prism supported. What a line that was. Well, I we were them... watching that band waiting for Sin in the Sentence songs. No, we weren't. We weren't. Whereas, you know. I think a lot of this album, What the Dead Men Say, could slip easily straight into the set list. And I saw Trivium... Yeah. I saw Trivium at Download last year and they were third on the bill on the Saturday, if I remember correctly. People turned out in droves, massive. Everyone down the floor to jump up from any waves, kicked in, video streamed everywhere. Again, people seemed to be less into the new stuff, but, you know, they were playing Sol- they played the title track of Silence in the Snow, I believe, and mm. a few have seen in the sentence, but it was it was your, your strifes and, you know... The yeah. uh pulled apart from uh ascendancy. Um, is that what the name of the song is? The... I can't Pull... is it uh pulled
1: apart by the strings of your martyr? That's style? it,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I, couldn't remember, term... I couldn't remember the full length of the song. Man, I was like pulled apart, <laughs> I couldn't remember the you full know, name yeah. of the
1: song. I'm right, it's, to... a, it's, a, it's a tough one, they went and they went really lengthy. Just a quick one on on on, on trivium, they've they're no smaller than Slayer, and yet nobody criticizes Slayer.
0: That is a good point as well, because we, the mentioned same before, a Slayer. we mentioned before that Slayer did an arena tour with Lamb of God, Anthrax, and Obituary. That was mm. the farewell. If it wasn't the farewell and it was just a Slayer tour and Repentless, they'd have been in the R2 Academy?
1: Absolutely. I saw a Slayer tour in 2007 that was originally timetabled for the NEC, and that was with um, Slayer Trivium. It was a 2007 Trivium, so that only had three albums. Um, a Monomath. And um, Mastodon, but Mastodon weren't Mastodon yet. They'd only brought out Blood and Thunder. Trivium were on the Crusade tour, so momentum was already starting to to, to fade away. And, and and Slayer were not retiring, and they had to to shorten the gig. They had to um, to take it to the Civic instead because they didn't sell enough tickets in Birmingham to see Slayer and Trivium. So, that what we're doing is is we're we're, we're hoping that Trivium get onto the level of Metallica. And Iron Maiden. Well, no fucker else has gone to the level of Metallica and Iron Maiden. The last forty years, it's been Metallica, Iron Maiden, big pause, and then and then everybody else until Slipknot got around. Yeah. And even then, and even then, Slipknot would have to be headlining festivals for another decade to be where Iron Maiden were in two thousand and three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like just to point that out, the longevity and the the size, and bands around. Metallica made have just fallen off, like Van Halen, Def Leppard, Kiss, um, Pantera, obviously broken up, Nirvana could obviously never pulled it together because of Kurt Cobain. And uh, do you know what I mean? The longevity is extraordinary. So for Trivium, I think in all is said and done, in ten or fifteen years, right, when M Shadows is writing a weird solo album, um, Matt, uh, Matt Tuck is has left Bullet and he's doing a solo because he's, he's and it's terrible because he's fallen out with Bullet for Valentine. Um, fucking kill switching guys will be long retired or playing small shows and Trivium will be releasing their 15th album and it'll be called The Exorcist of Hatred and it'll, give me, it'll be a se- <laughs> and it'll be an it'll be a 7 out of 10 and me and you will go and see them and yeah. that and you can't and you can't criticise that no nah, no, nah. <laughs> that nah. longevity is fantastic that Trivium will be going forever they've had like 4 drummers in the last 5 years and no one says a fucking word no nah. It doesn't matter. they just find the next guy who can play really fast. And Matt Heath, he just drops another 12 riffs out.
0: It's worth me mentioning, actually, that of Trivium's last four records, so that's this, Sin in the Sentence, Silence in the Snow and Vengeance Falls, I think this has the best chance of any of those records of increasing popularity. And raising live, live attendance figures whenever live attendance figures can start to be counted again. I think this is, this is the record that they've done, which has got a chance of moving them forward. Which, again, make the same point. Nine albums in. Rarity, that is. By nine albums in, you're usually just happy if it's a six out of ten. Absolutely. But if Slipknot ever get to a ninth album, I will happily take a six out of ten. I don't think Slipknot will get to nine albums, but let's just say if they did... We, I think we would both take a six out of ten, and just be absolutely, happy it's not.
1: Absolutely. And just be happy it's not a three. <laughs> yeah, because some some bands just burn out. Some bands don't have it in them to go this long. Nine well, albums in
0: fifteen years. Well, that's isn't it. Isn't it? once you've written Ascendancy, you can't write it again.
1: No, and, and 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 they haven't tried to do that ever again. Like there's some similarities in Trivium's material, but you can never say that they've tried to 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 recapture that they're just they're just trivium they 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 write brilliant riffs, really complex guitar notes and and that,
0: that that we never talk about how brilliant this band are musically oh at, the harmonies that trivium pull off are so brilliant
1: In, incredible and, and and some of the some of the, the the transitions here and some of the riffs and so and the the drummer is he, fantastic and some of the and the, they've, they've got that double vocal thing going on the music is absolutely incredible so i I agree with you this band haven't lost a step either. Nine albums in, they don't sound tired. They don't sound old. The songs are still good. This, you could mix this in, like you said, healthily into, um, you could put five or six of these tunes into a new, into a new set list and litter them with all the other tunes. And I think they'd fit in beautifully. And that is a rarity. Usually when you see a band after at this point, and you're seeing like three or four of the new songs, cause it's three or four, cause the band even don't have enough faith in the new material. And, they stand out like a sore thumb and this this won't do that and i think that is a huge credit even the fact that in a vacuum in itself it's a great album but in context of what trivium have done it's a marvelous achievement
0: i've got to say as opposed to the use last week it's the middle of this record that really props it up you've got you've got catastrophist which i i am so in love with that chorus I put my beats on and listen to that chorus. It's loud and massive and treat and uh, heafy sounds amazingly. Amongst the shadows and the stones, the start of that, uh, so sick. Uh, yeah. Bleeding to me, the Defiant, I think Defiant objectively is the best song on the album, even though my personal favorite is Catastrophes. I just think the guitar work and harmonies on the Defiant are beautiful. Sickness unto you and Scattering the Ashes. Any of those songs, could easily be dropped into the live set list, and people will eat them up. I'm not massive on the title track. Um, and that's all right, isn't it? Yeah, so I mean, like, the, this album, there is still some filler here, and I think there's been filler on every single Trivium album. And, and again, that's not unusual. Yeah. there's On 99% of albums that have ever existed, there's filler on them, because... Uh, the difficulty of writing 12 great songs is just insurmountable. It can't be described how difficult that is. So there's always fill there's usually, like I say, 99 times out of 100 filler somewhere on an album. Um, and I'm not. I, I said Scattering the Ashes could get dropped into the um, set list because I do think that song would go down well. It's a beautiful solo, isn't it? But I'm not massive on the lyrics and sometimes as you've mentioned previously lyrically trivium it is a bit cheesy isn't it it is and a it, bit and yeah. it's, a, it's a bit 80s uh, lyrically yeah the
1: father and the son thing I, 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 I don't mind it though because the, the actual melody is great and I can forgive the, the, the mediocre lyrics if the song itself is really good and I yeah. think the chorus I think the chorus is big enough to make me think yeah fuck it because a lot of the great songs from the 70s and 80s the lyrics are absolutely dire <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Abs- absolutely horrendous. It doesn't matter. Like if you really listen to "Seek and Destroy" by Metallica and read the lyrics, they're fucking dog shit. Yeah. They're absolutely dog shit. We're gonna come into this club and blow everything up, like we're a missile. Fuck off. Like it's really, <laughs> it's really, che- it's really cheesy. But it's yeah. Metallica and it's really powerful and there's a great solo in it. And everyone, everyone gets along. And and this is like that. I think I'm I'm okay with it.
0: Hey, mate. If I would have said to you what two months ago when this album was announced, it might be three months ago, actually, but whenever this album was announced, the new Trivium album is going to be one of the best they've done. I don't think you'd believe me. I don't think... If I'd have said to you, putting it in your top three, I think you would have said, I doubt it, mate, considering the last yeah, three, considering I, the last three I, they've done. 100% would have been doubtful. And I think that this is a really great record and it's made me excited about Trivium again. Whenever the time would be that they'll tour the UK... Last time they toured the UK, I went because of Cold Orange and Paratrip, and it was just really cool that Trivium were headlining, and I knew I'd see some classic great Trivium songs. Now, next time Trivium tour the UK, I, if there's great support, great, but I'll be going because I want to see Trivium, and nine albums in, that's probably the best, the most I could have hoped for.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair, but I think that's a great point.
0: Also worth mentioning that Matt Heathy, He's a major, major supporter of new metal bands and he's constantly promoting them on his Twitter, trying to bring them out on tours and just promoting them when and wherever he can in magazine articles. I just love Matt man. He's a really, really tremendous component of uh, metal in the modern day and this is a really, really great record.
1: I, I agree. He's one of he's one of Metal's premier songwriters and doesn't get enough credit for that. Feels we really... should be talk. We should talk about Matt Heath. Sorry, Sorry,
0: uh, we should be talking about Matt Heafy the same way we talk about Rob Flynn. Yeah, we should. Hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Feels weird that we've gone like what thirty-five minutes and this is the end of the show. Theoretically, <laughs> usually <laughs> mean you go mean you go for at least another hour, but. I hope you enjoyed the chat that me and, just, me and Sam just had about what the Dead Men say about Trivium. That album's out now on Roadrunner Records. We are going to be back next week as well. On that show, we've got album reviews on the new Asking Alexandria album, new album from Havoc, and we're going to have the first ever Sam Meets special. <laughs> that is Sam with Alex Taylor from Malevolence. That's coming next week. For now though, please stick around. My chat with Rotten out Walter Delgado comes right up after this. Thank you for listening to this episode. We be back in a week's time. We love you. Bye. So i now joined by Walter Delgado, vocalist from Rotting Out. Dude, how are you? I'm doing
2: good, man. I'm doing a lot
0: better than I was
2: about a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah, man, This I just said to you just before we came on, this is uh, this is so sick and what a great opportunity for me. And you've been flying around, man. Where are you actually as we speak? Are you at home right now or are you in like a different state?
2: Uh, I was just helping a friend move. Yeah. Um, With this whole situation with the virus, you know, a lot of people in California uh, got laid off. And um, because of that, not everybody can live here anymore uh, or afford to live here. So a lot of people are moving back with their families in other states and whatnot. So, you know, I was just helping a friend move back and, uh, you know, make things easier. And I just took a $50 flight back home and, you know, I was back here in no time.
0: I've got a feeling that $50 flights in America are quite a rarity. Uh, is that is that mainly because oh, of the virus? Oh
2: yeah, yeah, it <laughs> it it was ridiculous. And I was like, oh my god, that's we, you paid. We paid more for gas for the drive than we did, uh, you know, for the plane ticket.
0: That's crazy, man. And like, it's kind of like one of those things where if you were touring around America right now, holy shit, the money you'd save on flights. But obviously, that can't happen.
2: No, the money we'd save on gas. Gas is like dropping ten cents every, uh, like every week, apparently. That's crazy. So you know, for, for being a touring band, like I, I think someone posted in um, in Texas that gas was like a dollar twenty five. You know, it hasn't been it hasn't been that low since I can remember. Since you know, since I was a kid. So it's um, it's definitely affecting uh, the economy and everything. You know, um, granted we we're not even allowed to tour. Yeah, but. Uh, but yeah, it would, it, would, it would have been nice if uh, we were still able to continue the tour we were on and um, benefit from, you know, all the prices of everything like dropping drastically.
0: Hey man, you're such an interesting person and got like such a really fascinating backstory. There's, there's a million things that I want to get into with you on this chat. But I guess maybe the best place to start would be all the life experiences you've had how do you compare Walter today to Walter in 2007, maybe? Walter
2: in 2007. What was I doing in 2007? In 2007, I was 60 pounds lighter. Right. I was. Um, I was. Oh, my God. 2007, I was about 20. 2020 now, that was 13 years ago, I was like 22 years old and uh, I was on tour, I was doing merch for Have Heart on the East Coast Awesome. and I was having the time of my life and I was reckless and I was arrogant and I thought I knew everything about everything and you couldn't tell me I was wrong. So, (laughs) Walter back then thought he had it figured out and Walter today knows nothing ever gets figured out completely and uh so there's more a lot more self awareness uh now than there was then you know um I was a very angry individual then i i'm still angry because there's so much of that kind of like instilled in me throughout my life that it, you can't get rid of it all at once but back then i was angry because I just didn't know what to do with it. You know, everything that I had carried from my childhood and my teenage years, I had nowhere to put it and I had so much of it that I just I was just bitter all the time. I was just, you know, it was it wasn't it wasn't healthy at all, for sure. I would look for reasons to be angry just to be angry, you know. So, uh, luckily, over the last 13 years, I've learned to just kind of, like, let some of that go. But, you know, it's difficult. When that's all you've known and that's all you've kind of embraced as your identity, it's hard to kind of um, walk away from it and just kind of like learn to let pieces of that, like, w- learn to put those things down a bit. So, I've gotten a lot farther uh, than I anticipated, which is good for me. And uh, But there's still ways to go. You know, there's still a lot to learn. There's still a lot to experience. And, uh, you know, it's part of growing.
0: From the research that I've done on yourself and Rotting Out as a band, you first discovered, like, hardcore slash punk when you you were really young, like, before teens, if I've done my research correctly. With everything that was going on in your life at that time, was it like you were just desperate for something to identify with and you found this, like, really cool outlet? You were like this is cool and people are angry and the music's awesome and people really connect with this, this is home for me.
2: I, I, I believe it was, I started going to shows at a really young age, but in, in LA it was a little bit different, you know, cause the punk shows and the metal shows and even ska shows, all kind of like intertwined with each other uh, in backyards a lot. You know, we have backyard shows over here. So it's like, oh cool, you know, on a saturday night there'd be nothing to do but you heard about this show and it was different genres like four you know five different bands playing different styles of music so the backyard's full of punks and metalheads and ska kids and um and even like gang members you know like uh, we had a lot of cholos like just kind of like conducting the show you know kind of running things um But it wasn't until I found Hardcore that there was a level of aggression that I not only, like, admired, but I romanticized it. I I saw how intense the shows were when I went to my first show and how I couldn't compare it to anything I've seen prior to that. You know, I've been... At that point, I, I went to, like, a Rob zombie corn concert. When I was younger, I went to these random DIY backyard shows and, and and nothing could compare to my first hardcore show, legitimate hardcore show. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I dove in and I never came out. It was a, it was addicting. It was, um, it made sense with what I was feeling, uh, at that time and place. And, uh, when you have so much just uh, tension build up, this rage, and you don't know where to put it, you know, and there's so much of it that you can't just keep going out and fighting people in the streets or fighting people in backyards or, you know, skating wasn't doing it for me. You know, I was, I, I love skating and I, I love I still love, love it to this day, but like it wasn't, enough it, it wasn't enough I needed more I needed I needed something more aggressive something more um I guess fierce and hardcore shows was that you know it released that valve that I needed it it, it let off some of that pressure that I was having so much trouble like getting out of me and um and yeah that uh, that's what it was I was I was looking to identify with something so angry and and that's what I found.
0: Hardcore and, I suppose, the music industry in general, actually now, isn't as boots on the ground as it was two or three decades ago. If if you were 13, 14 right now, do you think you would still manage somehow to gravitate to hardcore? Or was it just like a coincidence that these angry backyard shows matched with the anger you were feeling? Or do you think, regardless, you would have ended up being a fan of punk-slash-hardcore?
2: I think no matter at what era, like I think about it, oh, if, if this was the 90s, would I still end up here? If this was uh, the 80s, would I still end up here? If this was the, the teens, like, you know, the past 10 years, would I still end up here? And I I think I would because I could find certain bands in every generation, in every decade, that I could be so drawn to that it was inevitable to like, for that, that, that energy and that gravity to, to pull me in. You know, so like if I was 13, 14 years old right now, we still, you know, obviously not under the quarantine uh, situation, but there's still backyard shows. There's still these punk shows. There's still these metal shows. And then eventually then I would hear about, oh, uh, a, 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 another, a, a new hardcore band or, or, or uh, a new punk band that is, you know, a little bit bigger than the backyard shows where their shows are a little bit more intense, a little bit more aggressive. And, you know, I'd be, I, I absolutely would be drawn to that. You know, there's there's bands in the last decade that had come out bands like incendiary, you know, bands like drain bands, like hands of God in the last few years um, that I'm absolutely attracted to that. You know, there's something about that style and that energy and something about hardcore and those shows that it's, it does make me still feel like a teenager sometimes, you know, you're watching a band and you're watching everything just kind of fall into place. You know, I, I what was it? Was it, I believe it was February or early January this, uh, a, a few months ago and incendiary was playing in Los Angeles. And, um, I had a very hard training session. I, I powerlift, uh, a lot. And, uh, I remember going to the show completely exhausted. So I was like, okay, like I'm not going to kind of really interact. I'm just going to stand here and I'm going to watch the show. And I remember there was moments in the set, in their set where I was 13 years old again, where it was like the most iconic thing I've ever seen. Like I've never seen anything like this. And I've seen this band tons of times already. So it's, it's undeniable that if I was a 13-year-old kid, I would still be in these rooms. I would still be coming to these rooms. I would still be drawn and attracted to this atmosphere that's still happening. You know, it's like... It's it's the same book. It's just a different cover. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so I I think it's... uh, I think it's something I'm always going to be just so attracted to.
0: I've always been really interested and fascinated by how open you are in interviews. And I remember... Watching uh, you on the Lamb Goat podcast, uh, which was one of my 45 minutes, a really, really great interview uh, with yourself. And you're pretty much open about everything in your whole life, which I've always found really interesting to hear and how you explain what you've learned and all that kind of stuff. Did you have to learn that talking about your past life problems is the greatest way to face them? Or have you always been like this completely open book? No,
2: no, 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 absolutely not. I was never that easy to speak on specific topics. Uh, Most of the time it was me, at least prior to getting the help that I needed, uh, which is like therapy and uh, things like that. Um, I, I think you kind of give people an idea of what your life was like and maybe even share a couple moments that might've been a little bit scary to share. And I left it at that kind of, you just, you let people know just enough to kind of get an idea of what your background is. That's usually what I did for, for a long time. And I think once I got help and I kind of faced things, um, and I dissected like memories and moments and trauma and, um, and kind of, and kind of looked at them thoroughly. I, it was difficult. It was de- very difficult at first, but then I, I realized like it became easier to talk about. It became easier to accept because the more I talk about it, the more it is my reality and what had happened to me. Doesn't mean I'm going to be stuck there anymore. It just means that I'm accepting life as it was, and and, and once I do that, it's easier for me to kind of grow from it you know to not have so much of those memories and that trauma have so much power over my moods and 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 the things I do and how I, I manage myself and how I cope so it was very difficult at first but once I spoke about it and I don't want to say I have like a confidence with it I just I tell it. I try to tell it as objective as possible. I say, I was this years old. This happened to me. This is how it made me feel, and this was some of the outcomes mentally, physically, emotionally. And you know that way I don't dwell on specific moments too much, because even even now I'll talk about certain moments, especially on this new record. There's a couple songs that are. Um very very uh dark in the sense where I never thought I would talk about these things, and so when I do talk about them, it's still kind of fresh to me, so you know my my voice will kind of shake a little bit or like i uh, i i'll I'll get anxious or you know like um I'll hesitate to speak so so it's it's definitely a process, but I think it's an important one that. For me, I need to kind of keep myself on track with it, you know, being not necessarily being as open, but being OK with talking about these things, not being ashamed of what happened to me, not feeling embarrassed for the things that happened to me, not feeling guilty for the things I went through.
0: You had a, a difficult childhood uh, and you had been opened up to like substance abuse from a, from a really young age. What was it like for you then to be in a band where all of a sudden the party lifestyle is kind of expected, but you had already been through a fair amount of that when you were incredibly, incredibly young, and now you're in this band and you're expected to be part of the party lifestyle. Was that theoretically like the worst thing that could have happened?
2: No, 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 not not at
0: all, actually. Um, I think because I... I've been
2: sober since I was fourteen. Uh I had my last beer at the beach near in my town. Um, my guitar player was there and a couple other friends were there. And I remember it was I was like some shitty fucking like, like some Budweiser or something something dumb like that. And I drank not even half of it. And I just remember no longer being happy because I think I started to see some of my stepfather in me when it came to drinking, that it was like this kind of crutch, you know, this this coping mechanism that I had accepted as, as normal, you know, like society was constantly telling me, Oh, if you're having a bad work week, go to the bar. Oh, you had a long day, crack open a beer, you know? Oh, you want to talk to this girl, buy her a drink. You know, so there's these things that were constantly being thrown in my face at such a young age on TV and the movies and even in my family. You know, Uh, a lot of Mexicans have a big drinking culture. You know, Um, a lot of alcoholics, you know, run through my family. And I was slowly seeing myself kind of be a reflection of that. And I remember being very embarrassed. um, And at the same time, I had found hardcore and a lot of my favorite bands were straight edge bands. You know, I didn't really understand the straight edge thing at the beginning. And it was like, Oh, that's weird. You know, how do these bands have fun? Because at that time I only thought the only kind of fun you could have is if you were fucked up or intoxicated. So, you know, I was slowly kind of unlearning those habits and just like, Oh, I don't really need to drink, you know, it it no longer kind of, smothered that sadness that i had or that anger you know it was kind of it was actually starting to amplify it and so i kind of like stepped away from that now fast forward to me being in a band you know i'm straight edge my guitar is straight edge my bass player smokes weed you know and drinks every now and then my other guitar player smokes weed and drinks so our drummer drinks you know so it's like it was never like I, I don't want to call it like a party lifestyle. It was just kind of like every person did their own thing and no one else cared. You know, we didn't care. We we weren't criticizing each other. That's just kind of how we are, you know? Um, but there was like this fast paced living when you're on tour when like, Oh cool. Show show's over. Let's go get food. Let's go to this house. Oh, there's a party. Let's go there. You know, like every now and then that would pop up. But for me, I've always been kind of like a recluse. I've always kind of, uh taught to like be alone most of the time not because I wanted to but because just under circumstances I was I was alone a lot you know we're moving around we're living in places and I don't have the uh the luxury to kind of keep my friends because I'm always moving um from place to place so there was really no reason for me to hold on to these friendships you know so it was like oh cool like I was just passing by And I think that carried over into my adulthood where like, oh, cool, I I can maintain these friendships, but I don't really invest them too much because I think mentally I just expect me to move on, you know, to move to something else, to move to a new town, even though I'm not going anywhere. So like I was, it's easy, it's very easy for me to be alone and it's comforting, honestly. Um, So sometimes I do get socially awkward and socially like anxious, uh, which is fucked up because I sing in a band. (laughs) And yeah, so like every time I go on stage, I'm absolutely nervous. You know, I I have to like pretend for the first two songs that I'm not there and I'm someone else just so I can like calm my nerves. And then once I'm like, okay, cool. Like if you see a lot of videos, I always start off with a hoodie. You know, I'll wear a hoodie for the first couple songs just to kind of like, it's almost like this weird comfort blanket you know, and then I take it off, like, after a couple songs, after, like, I've kind of calmed down, and, like, I've relieved, and I've I've experienced, like, the energy of the room, and it's like, okay, cool, like, oh, I I could kind of, like, take it easy a little bit now, Um, but my whole life, I've just been, like, kind of a loner, honestly, so I don't think parting was really, you know, I don't really care about parting. I'm usually the first one to, like, leave a party and not say goodbye. You know, what do you guys call it? Irish goodbye. And we just yeah. kind of like go out the back door without saying anything. My friend will text me. He's like, Oh, Hey, where are you at? We're going to go. Uh, we're going to go get tacos. I'm like, dude, I'm already in bed. <laughs> like, I left like, I left an hour ago, you know, like I, I'm fine. You know, I already got tacos on the way home. Like I'm not, I'm not too worried. Um, So, so yeah. So like the, the party lifestyle, uh, I was never really attracted to it, you know? So it's, uh, it's, I have nothing against it you know some of my friends love doing it and you know I don't know how they keep up I don't have that energy so you know more power to them but it's just I guess it just didn't affect me like it does some people
0: you'd been running pretty hard in the band for a few years and you left in 2015 there was a variety of reasons why you went on hiatus but I remember reading that you had said that you'd started thinking yeah this isn't fun for me anymore was there a specific moment or a specific gig that you played that after you were like, I don't know whether I'm enjoying this. Um, I don't remember if there was a specific gig, but
2: I remember the tipping point. There was, uh, there, it was escalating to it. There was a lot of problems. You know, we got our van broken into in Oakland. We got money stolen, you know, uh, a lot of our bags got stolen. So everybody was kind of like bummed and we're, we're uh, no, no one really notices, but rotting out has never asked for handouts. And we we're not the type of go fund me band. Oh, help us out. We got our shit stolen. You know what I mean? Like we grew up where if you get robbed, you take it on the chin. That's just life. You know what I mean? That's just, and, and you know, you, you fucking dust it off, you get up and you get back to it. You know We don't, we never really asked for those types of handouts and stuff like that. And i you know, honestly, we probably never will. And that's okay. You know, everybody, I'm not to say that bands that do are less than or, or weak or whatever, you know, or I don't care, you know, everybody's in time to do whatever they do. That's just the way our band functions. And um, so there was that. And then there was, I think I was, I, I didn't expect for us to tour as hard as we did. And I'd also didn't expect us to get, the amount of popularity that we did. And I think all of that was starting to kind of like get to me, especially since I'd never asked to be a frontman. I was recommended by our drummer and I gave it a shot and it turned out to be obviously very well for the band. But, you know, I, I, I think being in the, in the front, you know, uh, of everything, I didn't understand how to like, Adjust to that type of attention, whether it was good or bad, um, and then and then uh, touring felt more exhausting than enjoyable. Um, and on top of that, I was having mental health issues that I did not want to admit. At the you know I was I was in so much denial that I needed mental help, and. Also, I had a relationship that was very toxic, and it it all just kind of came to uh, a boiling point, and I didn't know what else to do except to run and that's that's what I, that's basically what I did. You know there was a I believe a show in Oklahoma where the person I was dating at the time was basically like, "Hey, here's some information that is not fun. And I haven't been the most loyal or honest person. And, you know, I took that very hard. I took that very hard. I remember playing that show because it, it was, I was already in a bad state. So that was just enough. You know, that was uh what is it? The, the needle that broke the camel's back. Um, and it was just, I was, I was, I checked out, I took off, you know, I, Mentally, I was over it. You know, we played two more shows after that. And in Texas, uh, I told our guitar player, I was like, oh, I'm done, man. I'm going home. We drove home. And that whole year didn't get any better. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Basically, it was just, it was, it was me, because I don't like pointing fingers at anybody. It was me not knowing how to conduct my way to everything coming at me. You know, I didn't know how to handle the weight of everything or how to distribute it that I kind of let things break me. And um, yeah, that's basically when I walked away from everything, probably five years ago today. Weird, that's already been five years. That's crazy.
0: Cause I remember that time because I got into punk around about four or five years ago uh, and I said to you before we came, we came on air. I was like, it was yourselves, Agnostic Front, and Cro-Mags. And I, I was talking to a friend of mine who was also reading really to Punk about rotting out, and he was like, "Oh, dude, they're not even a band anymore; they're on hiatus." And I was like, "What? This sucks! I was like, I've just got into the band, and they're not even going anymore." Um, and then I read about, I saw what I'd, um, that you'd uh, gone to prison, and I thought that that would basically be the nail in the coffin for the band and that, that and rotting it would never return, or at least might not return in the same form. When you were in prison, were you? did the band even come into your mind? Was that even a singular thought? Um,
2: uh, I think when it came to thinking about the band while I was in prison, it was not so much getting back together. It was more reminiscent. It was me thinking about, oh, man, I remember that one show in Florida, you know. Or, oh, man, remember when we played This Sound and Fury? Or, holy shit, remember when we went to the UK, you know, and we toured with these bands? You know, there's there's specific shows that will always stand out to me and that, you know, that made me feel so grateful to be a part of this band that, you know, I I had all this time in the world now to do nothing but think... That, you know, when I did think about rotting out, it was, it was being grateful for the opportunities that were given to me. You know, I, you know, I, I was in, I was in a box and I couldn't do anything except read, sleep, eat, and that's it. You know, so I tried to find sweetness and like the memories I had, you know, that were still mine that no one could take from me. You know, like they, they, they could take my freedom and essentially I took my freedom. Um, but they couldn't take the memories I had. They couldn't take the things that still kind of like kept me grinning and kept me laughing and all those things. You know what I mean? Like what, why, why is a kid from the projects of Los Angeles playing to a room in Germany and everyone is singing every word I've written in my bedroom, you know. Like, yeah. I, 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 even to this day, I'm still amazed by that. You know, I'm still, I'm still like, holy shit, this, this isn't real life. Like, you know, I, I, I get like, there's bands that can conduct stadiums. You know what I mean? They get, they get a whole fucking stadium singing every word, and the singer doesn't have to do anything. You know, I was just grateful for two hundred kids in Germany at our first show there and the whole room went off. You know, we we, we played uh, Songs Off Street Pro and it was our first show and I didn't expect anybody to know who we were or let alone even like sing along. You know, so I was like, okay, cool. We were gonna do what we we're gonna do. I was gonna give hundred and twenty percent and we were gonna hope, you know, people enjoyed it. You know, the second the guitar turned on the room went wild and uh, you know, it it was one of those moments where I look back and I, I I still have trouble believing that was real, you know? So those were the things that kind of kept me happy in prison. You know, when, when when you're in there, you go through these series of waves where you're depressed and then you kind of accept things and then, you know, time goes on like, Oh, you know it kind of hits you again and you're you're in a new low and then you know you come back up so you kind of go through these waves um and those were the things that i had to remind myself like hey man like you're probably the only one in this whole prison that has done something like this and that's pretty cool you know so i i i I used writing out more to kind of like uplift me when i wasn't feeling my best and i didn't never i never I, i had honestly i thought it was buried I thought I thought it was behind me. I thought no one gave a shit because of my actions, you know. I thought people just kind of checked out. And, you know, that's that's I'm a I'm a realist, so I was like, yeah, that's probably what happened and that's okay, you know. Life goes on.
0: You underwent a, a personal healing during this period, and without that, do you think you would have been less ready? to start the ball rolling for the band again? Do you think you would have started it at all without that time where you had accepted what you'd done and you were able to move forward in life and be able to look forward to new opportunities? Um,
2: honestly, I think it was a handful of my friends that pushed me. Because we, me and my guitar player thought about writing more music And it was kind of like a conversation between a few of us in the band. Oh, yeah, let's just do something. No intention to play shows, no intention to get back together, just kind of like write a record and just kind of put it out there, whatever, you know what I mean? Because we kind of ended on an open note. And uh, word got around. I don't know how. um, And Sound and Fury came to us and was like, hey, we want you to headline Sound and Fury this year. I almost laughed. I was like, uh, why, like, no one's going to give a shit. It's going to be embarrassing. Why, why would I get up there and embarrass myself? And like, no, no, no. I really think, you know, I really think you're having trouble seeing what you guys did or what, you know, what, what kind of an impact you left. And I mean, I probably did, you know, I, I, I guess I just didn't see my band the way most people did. I was kind of like in it. So it was hard to see what was around me. Um, And I didn't really want to do it. And people kept kind of like, it'll be a good idea. It'll be a good idea. And I'm like, all right, fuck it. Let's see what happens. I was like, if this bombs, I'm going to say I told you so. You know, and we played Sound Fury 2018. And it was... I've seen the the videos. uh,
0: It's fucking crazy. (laughs) <laughs> it was so Wild. euphoric so like
2: the first kind of the first like half of the show was me i was so just overwhelmed by the energy and 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 the uh, uh, aggression that i just you know i i was i went i went so hard and then the second half of the show it was me soaking it all in like there'll there'll be pictures and i'm smiling and i'm enjoying myself and i'm like holy shit you know like this this it's like it was it's like that weird climax in like a movie you just kind of didn't see coming you know um and that's at least that's how it was for me and uh and then i remember i tore something in my knee Because the stage was wet and there was a bunch of kids on top of me and I didn't care. I didn't give a shit. You know, I was, I was just so happy to be there. I didn't care what it cost me. That as soon as we were done, I walked off stage. I went to grab some water and I collapsed into all the water bottles. And there's a picture of me literally like laid into the water bottles, like trying to catch my breath with a, a busted knee. And I'm just, I have the biggest smile on my face. And I think, that was the moment where i'm like okay we we need to finish what we started and by saying that is we had the idea of one one record after the reckoning uh to kind of close off this trilogy not saying it's like the last record but like kind of like there was like a trilogy uh of that we kind of had set up like street proud being like the opening the wrong way being like this meet, you know, the reckoning being like this like bridge part to like a movie. And then like Ronan being like this, this closer, you know? And I was like, okay, like let's at least get to there. And so that motivated us to like write new songs and, uh, you know, get back in the studio. And when people found out we were writing a record, we got offers to tour, with Knock Loose and stuff like that. And we're like, yeah, like, it makes sense that we tour and promote this record, you know, because, fuck it, people already know we're recording, might as well push it. And so that's what we did, you know. It took us about six, six and a half months to write and record this record. And uh, honestly, I haven't been this excited since Street Pro. Just
0: quickly going back to that Sand and Fury uh, set, because... I was so happy when I when I found out that you were you were headlining and the videos uh, went up on YouTube and I, I've been in some crazy crowds in my in my time and I've seen a lot of crazy shows. The, honestly anyone listening to this you need to check out the videos for this show absolutely insane man i couldn't believe it really caught me off guard and surprised me how aggressive some of the fans were being with you you're a big dude you're a big power lifter man and some of the <laughs> i couldn't believe the bravery of the kids man but I, I guess the band rotting out elicits such a an emotion aggressive response that i could see that you were just completely like entrenched into the show yeah
2: And I think that's why kids kind of lose themselves. Uh, if I can convince the crowd or anybody that gives a shit about our band at the show that I don't care that if we're going to die, let's die here. If I can do that, kids will have that confidence. If, if some kid can like jump off my back, you know, if I say, Hey, this is your show, jump off of everything, jump off of me, I don't give a fuck. Then now kids literally lose this sense of fear of like, oh, these dudes aren't rock stars. This dude's not going to give a shit if I bump into him. This dude's not going to give a shit if I step on his head. This dude doesn't care. So that means I shouldn't give a shit. And that kind of like encourages kids to have this, to really push that animosity and that energy and hopefully – making it more than just a show and making it more of like this spectacle. And then as soon as it's over, it's over, you know? So that's why every time I play a show, I do my best to really encourage everyone to be a part of it because this is a a band is, is almost useless at a hardcore show without the crowd. It is useless, you know? Um, And, and, and hardcore was all about interaction. Hardcore is all about going to the show, feeling that energy and absorbing it and, you know, participating in any way you could. I don't care if you're singing along on the side of the stage or if you're doing a, if you're stepping on the back of my head to do a front flip. I don't care. You're participating and that's all I've asked for. And I, I think that translates into our shows a lot. And, um, you know, I look at some of our shows and I go, holy shit, how did we pull that off? Or how, you know, how? Oh, that was crazy. Like, did you see that, you know? we would talk about like highlights in like throughout the set you know with the kids stage diving or kids moshing or how loud kids were screaming you know and it was never about me it was never about our band you know every highlight is the interaction with the crowd you know like cuz we don't care we don't we don't care about trying to look cool you know like it was always about how can we make people feel and how can i push everything out of everyone how can i squeeze them for every ounce of energy that was my only purpose and uh and i think sound inferior 2018 was a perfect example of that even this past sound inferior when we played with have Heart, that was a that was another crazy show because it's like oh fuck we got to play before have Heart. this is yeah. a fucking embarrassing, <laughs> you know Yeah. like and even then i was like holy shit this is crazy like you know, there's people that hadn't seen us before or hadn't seen us in a long time because everybody came to see Have Heart, you know, which is, has been gone for a whole decade. So it was it was exciting to still kind of get like that type of response that we got, you know, uh, when the whole reason 90 percent of the room came was for one specific band. That was not us. So that was that was something to be very grateful for.
0: Dude, I've just realized we've been speaking for over forty minutes, and I haven't even mentioned the new record yet. Are we good for time? I mean, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm,
2: I'm. I don't. I don't do shit. I, I can't. They're not letting us really go anywhere. Awesome. So, <laughs> so I've just been watching. I've just been watching sci-fi movies and westerns. So I, I have all the time in the world, man.
0: Awesome, man. I just realised we've been speaking for like 40 minutes. I was like, shit, I haven't even mentioned rounding yet. This is crazy. But, uh, you know, because you've got such an interesting story, I figured I'd just let you run with it, man. Um, y- You'd already decided that you were going to write another record before that Sound and Fury set. But as soon as that finished, did that kind of like speed the process up in the sense of you felt really energised again? That was awesome. Oh, my God, let's get straight in the studio and let's work on something new. So that was 2018. Yeah.
2: Um, we're like, okay, let's let's do something little. Let's just drop a single, you know, to kind of like let people know we're still active, you know, kind of like, hey, we're still a band or we're a band. Because at that point, people didn't know if it was just a reunion show or if we actually got back together, right. you know. Um, so we wrote two songs. Uh we only released one. It was called Reaper. And yeah, I, remember. I think it was when we released Reaper that it was, that was the pushing point. That was, that was, that, that was like, okay, now we got to write a record because that song did so well. We released it on a Thursday and we played a show that Friday and by that Friday, kids were singing along to almost every word and like going off, like it was like, it was one of our other songs that we've been playing for years that people love, you know? So we're like, Holy shit. Like this is cool. That's the kind of like motivation I want when I write new music that people are like still ecstatic about it. And, and, and not only that, very responsive. And so I was like, yeah, this is, we got to write this record, you know? So for six months, In 2019, the first six that came out in January 2019, the first six months was me kind of compiling ideas, not even writing songs, just kind of compiling these ideas of how I want to lay out the record, how we what we want it to sound like, what new elements we might be like putting in it, you know, also at the same time, not jeopardizing the integrity of our sound, Um, you know, because we still want to sound like a West Coast hardcore band. Um, and then July, we finally got a lockout, a practice space. And for six months straight, we're just pulling song out after song out. We had about 17 songs, uh, we wrote and we narrowed it down to the best, our favorite 10 songs. So the the record is 10 songs. And, uh, yeah, I think Reaper, it, it was the response we got from Reaper that gave us that extra push to okay, let's get this thing fucking going.
0: I specifically wanted to wait until before the interview to listen to the new record, so I could come in with like just this fresh emotion I could just bounce straight off you my thoughts. Um let's talk about boy, because when I was when I picked up the record and I was looking at song lengths, I was like oh shit, there's a song on here that's like five minutes. (laughs) I've never seen Rotting Out do that before. Um, (laughs) And that's probably on Boy, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's probably the most open lyrically I've ever heard you. Was that with the plan going in, let's write this song where I'll just talk about everything I'm feeling?
2: Uh, Yeah. um, And like I said earlier, Boy is that song that i still kind of have trouble uh kind of composing myself when i talk about even right now like i feel like i my body's feeling things and like because i know what that song is about um and you know i'm 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 a little hesitant not to talk but just like it, it, it 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 gets a little difficult when i come to when it comes to talking about that song but that song is one that i've been sitting on for so long and honestly absolutely terrified to talk about because that song was something i thought i was going to take to my grave i grew up in an atmosphere where boys don't cry and if you did there's repercussions and and this song is not about that the song is not about you know this machismo attitude that leaves a bad impression on young boys the song is, is literally about me being molested you know, as a child and not really understanding what was happening to me and not, not the action, but what was happening to me, like in my life, like I started to feel like, like I did something so bad that I deserve this, that, that for some reason life brought this into my lap and was like here on top of everything you're going through on top of the, the, the child abuse on top of the homelessness. You live in a shelter. Here's this thing now. And it was kind of like, I didn't understand it. I didn't want it. And it was just, it left this terrible impact emotionally on me. And, uh, and I didn't want to talk about it, you know? Um, But every time I go back to that moment, it's, it's, it's very traumatic. And it's 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 gut wrenching, and it hurts my head to think about it. Even now, like I feel like this throbbing behind my eyeballs. And um, but I knew I had to put it out there. I knew when I wrote this record that I was like, I can't hold anything back anymore because I'm tired, because I'm exhausted. I don't have that energy to keep acting so brave all the time. And so that was the first song I wrote on the record and that was the first song we recorded. So I went into it knowing it was definitely going to raise some eyebrows and, you know, because I know what I look like. I know I look like this big, just powerlifting goon, like macho man, this motherfucker that looks like he's got a thousand yard stare you know, and nothing could hurt him. And, and honestly, that's probably all, a, 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 you know, a defense mechanism from all the things that have happened to me. You know, my whole, my whole life I felt like I couldn't defend myself. I couldn't defend my family, you know. And so fighting back or at least looking like I could to a point where, okay, now no one's ever going to mess with me again. I'll make sure no one puts their hands on me ever again. I'll make sure no one is going to mistreat me like that ever again, you know? And so like I projected this idea physically into who I am now of what I thought was going to be, you know, a strong and and brave individual, even though my mentality was still very, very boyish, you know, when it came to, uh, tending to my like emotional trauma and, uh, coping mechanisms. So boy, Boy is that song. Boy is basically the record, the spirit of the record, as as much as I hate to say it because it's such a kind of depressing song and kind of a lonely song. But if you listen to all the lyrics on the record, it's all kind of puts a shine on different aspects of my mentality and like my mental health and like the things that have either happened to me or how I cope with things that aren't right and um yeah yeah boy i'm
0: it's 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 I like that you came right off the bat with that song
2: because I think that's the most important
0: song on that record. Do you think this is your most important record that you've ever written for me yes,
2: I don't uh you know, I don't when people ask that question, I feel like some people ask it from a professional standpoint you know, like, Oh, is this the best record Rodding out ever wrote? Is this the most important record Rodding out has written? And it's, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know that answer. I can't answer that, you know, because I'm not the rest of my band and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really like a businessman to see this as like, Oh, professionally, is this going to put me here, you know, to get these other opportunities? Cause I, I honestly don't give a shit, but for my mentality, this, was the most important record I had to write for myself
0: If we pretend that Rotting Out never figured it out and you never got back together do you think you would have had like this creative void where you would have looked for somewhere else or perhaps another band you could have formed to fill this void
2: Oh yeah, yeah I I, I think this had to get out of me inevitably I think I think I was just done holding it all in, and uh, whether it was rotting out or whether it was another band, it was it was going to come out eventually. Maybe not even as a hardcore band, maybe as something else. You know what I mean? Maybe as a, another genre of music or whatever. Because I listen to shit all across the board, so um, it'd probably be something challenging too. So, but rotting out just happened to be there and it was probably easier that it was rotting out because I had already been kind of exposing things that are very vulnerable to me throughout the records and I think this was like the most comforting place to be in to write about these things.
0: When when you were in prison, do you look back and think that the most important thing you can learn when you're in that environment is accepting what's gone wrong and then just trying to move on?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, I wasn't in denial. I was guilt ridden. I, I, I had so much guilt in me for the things I had done that put me in that position, not because it affected me, but because it affected my family because my whole life, it was basically me trying to do the best I could for my family. And now I turn around and kind of betray them. You know, I put, I, I, I put this stress on them. I put this, this anxiety over their heads. And, and, you know, like, yeah, I, I hurt my family, uh, emotionally, you know, and possibly financially, you know, um, and that 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 was this guilt that just sat in my stomach like a fucking rock, and that was the part that ate me up the most. But once I accepted what had happened and where I was, it became easier to figure out what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go from there. Um, so I got I got help, you know, that I needed. I I, I sought therapy. Um. I stopped pointing the finger. I start looking inward and seeing what I could fix because I can't change people. My job isn't to change people. My job isn't to save people, even though that's what I thought it was. You know, I thought that was my only purpose, to sacrifice myself and my family, to
0: to take
2: in all their pain and agony and their anger and be this like capsule that, you know, would take the weight from them and transfer it to me, like this almost self-sacrificing hero, right? That's That's what I thought my purpose was. And once I realized that I didn't always have to do that, it became easier for me to, like, look at what was wrong with me. You know, look at what my problems were, what my bad habits were. And um, prison was a very important turning point for me. So, you know, people go, oh, I'm, I'm sorry you went to prison. I'm sorry. Oh, it's so fucked up what they did to you. And blah, blah, blah. it's like, no, no, I, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. I'm glad I had to go through what I had to go through um, because it took so much weight off my back that I probably would still have to this day. And I'd probably be bitter and I'd probably be in a more fucked up position, honestly, mentally and emotionally. And, um, and I think it was good. It was good for me. It was 100% good for me. It, it, It opened my eyes to wanting to know who I was who I was like and what I was capable of, you know, because for so long, you know, you feel like a beaten dog and you feel like your spirit's broken. And then someone says, you don't got to live like that. You, you go, well, what, what other way is there to live? And then you figure out, Holy shit, I can be happy. I can, I can allow these things. It's going to take some time. It's going to take, it's a process to unlearn all this dumb shit you absorbed as a kid, you know, people calling you names, people telling you what they think you are, all this negative talk, you know, and then you start to do it to yourself. You start to put yourself down and you start to call yourself names and you start, start to think that you're undeserving of so many things that you go, Holy shit. Like all those people that I hated, somehow they're still here and they're still talking to me. uh, But now it's in, now it's in my voice. And so like, I was tired of all that. And you know, I, I, I have to get rid of that stuff in order for me to like, grow as an individual and learn to be happy so prison was that vital point where i had to break in order to rebuild who i was again and uh i mean yeah i'm I'm grateful for that man
0: any specific reason why rotting out has generally stayed away from rotting about politics Because, yeah, a lot of punk is built around anger and, you know, sticking your middle finger up to the system and, like, anarchy and that kind of thing. Um, And I've always found it really interesting that, generally, not a lot of your stuff seems to revolve around politics.
2: No, no, no. Um, So, growing up, there was a, like, just like you said, there was a lot of bands involved in politics, a lot of punk bands involved in politics. And, honestly, as a teenager, I didn't understand it. I didn't, I didn't get it, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, you want me to be mad at the system and all that? And I, 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 I kind of get it, you know, because I grew up poor and stuff like that. But I have bigger fish to fry. I have to – I'm concerned if I'm going to eat tonight. I'm concerned if my old man is going to come home drunk, you know, or if that argument is going to escalate, or if I have to jump in the way you know, between him and my mother, you know, or if we have to, I have to grab my big brother and run for my life. Like, those were the things that I had to, I, would, I, I, I had on my mind. So, for me to be concerned with politics was almost trivial. It was almost outside of my realm of concern, that I didn't give a shit about it. I didn't, I didn't give a fuck who people were voting for. I didn't give a fuck about our economy. I didn't, I didn't give a shit about any of that because I was trying to stay alive. I was trying to, I was trying to breathe the next day. I was trying to make it through the night. So, it was hard for me to connect with those types of bands. So when it came to writing for a band, I wanted to talk about what I, what I knew, what scared me, what I experienced. And anytime I get invested politically, even nowadays, it just gets so aggravating. Like it almost keeps me in a state where I can't even enjoy myself because I'm so obsessed over the injustice out there that I'm like, you know, as, mu- as much as I would love to fight for everyone's righteous cause and you know equality and everything, like I also don't want to take away from me just being able to enjoy my day, you know, enjoy my family. you know imagine being so angry and uh, all the time politically invested and you know fighting for a righteous cause that you missed someone's birthday or you missed a great conversation with your mother or father, you know, or your brother, or, you know, all that energy was spent, you know, over here, and it kind of robbed you of these precious moments with people that really give give a fuck and love you. I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm just saying, for me, I'd rather focus over here. I'd rather put my energy over here, you know, um, and it's not right nor wrong. It's just where you decide to invest. You know your passion and 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 your emotions and you know your energy um so when it comes to writing these lyrics i just i'm only going to talk about what i know and what i know is what i've experienced some people may get it some people may not you know um and that's okay They they don't have to it's i did i didn't write songs so people can relate to them. I wrote songs to get this shit out of me.
0: Hey, Walter, this has been um, really, really incredible. Uh, I've just got one question left for you, but thank you for uh, being so open and really just a really cool person to talk to. And for all the time that I've loved Rotting Out, I've always really wanted to just have one conversation with Walter Delgado. And it's been just as interesting and cool and uh, fascinating as I expected. So uh, thank you for that. Oh, thanks um, for having me. Man. Just, just as we close off, the, the idea of you just being able to just forget everything from the past probably isn't possible. But in terms of mental state, uh, your life in general, the band, and the past—is this the most peaceful you felt in a long time?
2: Um, yes, uh, but at the same time, like I. I struggle a lot um, because I have, uh, I guess issues with trauma that I don't think will ever leave me anymore. Um, So it's always, you know, it's always, you got to take it day by day. And so I'm always trying to figure out and find a balance and uh, try to kind of maintain my composure. You know, it's not easy. I I got, uh, I got diagnosed with, uh, PTSD. And I was in such denial uh, because, you know, I was taught that what, no only people in the army or, you know, people that go to war get that, you know what I mean? Like that's how I looked at it. And I was like, no, there's no way I can have that. I just get nervous sometimes when I think about the past and, you know, basically I get more than nervous and I have these episodes and sometimes they're very, very difficult to manage. And I didn't want to accept that that's what it was. And, but I find the calmness in that. Like you said, I am more calm because now I know where those things come from. Now I know I'm not just freaking out when I ha- I, I think back, you know, far enough. Uh, I, now I know why it's there and why it's happening. So now there's reason to the problems that I have, which is half the battle. You know, it's now that I know where it's coming from, I can accept and I go, okay, it's not, I'm not just fucked up and for no reason I'm fucked up because this is what happened to me. And you know what, let's, let's, let's see how we're going to work with that. So there's, there, there is that calmness where I, I can take things in easier in order to like analyze the situation. And it goes, okay, like, don't give it that much power anymore. See where it comes from take it day by day. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be here next week, man. You know, I could fucking go outside and get hit by a car. You know, I, I can't keep worrying about next month or, you know, how this whole epidemic is going to pan out. You know, I'm like, I'm in a situation where I'm pretty good, where I don't have children that depend on me or, you know, a significant other that's like struggling as well. You know, I live by myself and i'm not struggling financially so like i'm i'm grateful for all these things so that gives me the luxury in order to like focus on myself and keep myself you know in in as good of a headspace as i possibly can keep it but yeah
0: yeah i haven't felt this calm probably ever in my life amazing man i'm so happy for you uh and I'm so happy that you've got to a point where we've got a new record that's out in, as we record this, three days. Uh, I've only listened to in once all the way through, because I specifically wanted to wait until this chat. I wanted to go in fresh, um, but it, I can tell that I'm going to get a massive connection to it. I've got no doubt I'm going to fall in love with it. And I'm really happy for you that you've been able to get to this space. And this has been a really the quickest one hour of my entire life. Uh, Thank you so much again, man. Um, Rounding's awesome and I'm really happy for you. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.